The Linux Reality Podcast is sponsored by O'Reilly Media, spreading the knowledge of innovators through its books, online services, magazines, and conferences. Visit them today at O'Reilly.com. Welcome back to Linux Reality. This is episode number 85, and uh, my name is Chess Griffin. Uh, sorry about being off last week, especially, uh, you know, apologize for that short notice. Uh, I, that wasn't my intent. I was I was ready to go, but uh, things got crazy at work, and, uh, you know, I started just kind of falling behind, and so it was, it was one of those weeks where I had to pull a lot of late nights and try to get caught up. So uh, that was mostly, you know, most most of the reason why I wasn't able to to get to one last week, but we've got one this week. And this week, I didn't really come up with a good title, so I just decided to call it Command Line Fun because I've got sort of a potpourri of command line or shell-related things to talk about. So I thought it would be kind of fun to uh, put it all in one place. And the other thing is I'll mention off the top here is um, – well, two things. First of all, uh, there's another Linux podcast out there called Linux Basement, and I will put a link to that in the show notes. It uh, looks very cool. I think they've just gotten started, got a couple episodes out, uh, so do check them out. The other thing I want to mention up front here here is that I do have a listener tip for this week, and I have a lot of email, and I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold off on the listener uh, uh you know, feedback and do a, do a, you know, a separate episode with just listener feedback like I've done uh, from time to time before. So uh, that'll be coming up real soon. Uh, but for now, let's talk about some command line fun. Okay. Well, um, maybe that name was, is a little cheesy command line fun. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe a lot of people will listen to this and think it's not very fun at all, but, uh, you know, I had a few different things that I'd been want, that I've been playing around with, uh, and I've been meaning to kind of talk about them. And, uh, some of these I may expand into a separate episode at some point, but I've got, you know, two or three things here, sort of shell related or command line related that I wanted to talk about. And part of it is because, I don't know. I, it's funny. Uh, Will Backman, who you know, I interviewed several uh, weeks ago. He's the the host of a great podcast on the BSDs, uh, BSD Talk uh, podcast, and he did an episode a while ago called "Why I Love the Command Line." And I don't know why, but that episode kind of resonated with me, and I've you know thought about it quite a bit from time to time. And the issues come up in some of the other things I've done and, and on the Fresh Ubuntu podcast, the, the roundtable, we were talking about things. And one of, the, one of the points I brought up was, you know, I hope that um, Linux always kind of has its command line. And I, I, and I know that there's, you know, a need to, to make things very easy and to have GUI tools for everything. And that's fine. I, I, I have no problem with that. Um, I think that's good because I do think it's important to reach out to those who, uh, you know, don't like to play in the command line because I realize that, that most people don't. Uh, but I just hope that that's always there. So in 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 that light, I had a few things I wanted to talk about. And the first one is about the shell itself. And, you know, we've, we've talked about the shell before. The bash shell uh, uh, is the actual shell that's included with most Linux distribution. It's the born again shell. Um, and it is, uh, there's lots of different shells out there. Now, let me stop right there. The shell, of course, is the you know what you 
which you log into. Technically, even when you boot into a graphical mode, if you boot into GDM or something, there's, an, there's a shell that's really started for your user that your user logs into that is – and that way when you, when you open up a terminal, like you know, the GNOME terminal, um, you're, you know, you're really inter, you know, interacting with that shell that's kind of running in the background, so to speak. Um, and so oftentimes – and this is the shell that you use to do file commands and copy and move and you know, all this kind of stuff that we, you know, when you open up a terminal. Uh, and it's called an interactive shell because you're interacting with it. Uh, there's lots of different shells. And uh, this is something I kind of knew over the years, but I never really paid much attention to it uh, until really in the last um, year, year and a half. Uh, when I was uh, playing around with you know uh, Arch Linux and and uh, the BSDs, and of course I still use those uh, operating systems, but uh, I realized there's a lot of people out there that use other shells other than the Bash shell, and so I started experimenting with them, and I found I really liked them, and really for the last year I have been using a different shell, uh, and really actually I should explain that because at least in Linux you know you're still going to get the Bash shell installed for the most part uh, but you can install more than one shell and you can set your uh, user to log into one or different shells you can change it in other words you can change which shell your your user logs into and so i actually log in i use a different shell for my login my interactive shell but you can still run scripts with a different shell so for example i use a shell called the z shell and but i still use bash for scripting. So when you open up a script and you see in the very beginning the little shebang, the little hash mark with the exclamation point, and then right next to it is a slash bin slash either bash or sh. And usually if it says bin slash sh, usually that's just a, a link to bin slash bash, which is the actual bash shell. You know, you can still use the bash shell to run your script. So if, if I write a script, I would still have the slash bin slash bash up there in the shebang line. Uh, but from an interactive shell standpoint, I like to use the Z shell. And uh, there's some some links. I'll, I'll put you know put some links in the show notes. There's a great chart on Wikipedia that lists all the different shells that are out there. And there's lots of them. There's the the corn shell. Um, there's the uh, TSH or TSCH, which is one of the shells that comes with FreeBSD. Uh, there's the C shell, which I think is the one that's used by OpenBSD. Like I said, there's the Z shell. That's the one I like to use. There's also a link in the Gen 2 Wiki that I'll put in the show notes that explains how to use the Z shell. And I guess the reason you know behind trying different shells is they have different features. And uh, some of them you know may be more limiting in some ways, uh, and some of them are, are you know uh, have much greater functionality uh, than the Bash shell, which is the one that most you know we're, we're, we're used to. That's the one that most of us use most of the time is is the Bash shell. And I have found with the Z shell that uh, it's really cool. It has a lot of really cool features, and I won't even get into all the details of it. But there, but here's a simple example: the command completion. Uh, this is something we've talked about before, or the tab completion. You know, when you're at, starting to type something in the shell, you know, at, you know, you can just press the tab key, and it will sort of fill it in for you. And if there's more than one choice, it will give you the different choices. Well. That's tab completion or command completion or line completion, whatever you want to call it. The Bash shell has that, um, and, but the, and the Z shell has it, but it's much better. And, and I, 
it will give you, depending on uh, where you are in the file tree, you can actually press it and you'll see it will change. Like it will, if you start to enter a directory, uh, you don't even have to finish typing it. It will actually start to give you the subdirectories. And so you can, um, and it will change, you know, if you change the letter, it'll automatically shift. It's nothing like I've seen before in the bash. I'm not explaining it very well. You really just have to kind of see it uh, to see what it can do or to read about it. Uh, but it's very, very cool, and it's very configurable. You would have a, instead of a .bashrc file, uh, which would, of course, control how you want your bash shell to be set up when you log in, you would have a .zsh, I think it's .zshrc file in your home directory, which, which in, you know, that's where you can put your different options and things for the Z shell. Uh, so I guess the, the point of this is just to maybe alert people to the fact that there are different shells out there and they're very cool. Uh, the way to change, if you decide, let's say you want to, you know, install the Z shell, uh, and, uh, and, you know, try it. You can always go back. It's not like it's a permanent change or anything. It's very easy to do. The way you would do it is after you've installed, uh, the Z shell, uh, ZSH. So it, it resides at slash min slash ZSH as opposed to slash bin slash BASH. Uh, it's just a different executable file in the bin directory. Uh, there's a command called chain shell and it's abbreviated CHSH and that stands for chain shell. And, uh, so what you would do as your normal user, once you've got it installed is you would do CHSH space dash S uh, space slash bin slash ZSH. And that will change your shell to the ZH, the, the ZSH shell, the Z shell. And you log out and you log back in and then you'll be running the Z shell. And the prompt will probably be different and you'll want to configure that. And you can configure the prompt just like you can in the bash shell. I've talked about that before and, and put some links on how to do that. And that's a very similar process, but, uh, but really the command completion in the Z shell and, and, and it's just got some, it just, I don't know, it just operates a little bit differently and it's pretty cool. Um, it, you know, the history, when you do the control R and you kind of uh, do the up arrow to go through your history, it seems to be a little bit easier to use than the, than the similar uh, process in the bash shell. I just, I really like it. It's just a very nifty kind of a shell. Uh, so I definitely encourage people to, you know, check that out and, uh, you can always change back, you know, if you have the Z shell installed and you try it out, and you don't like it. You can just do the chain shell command C H S H space dash S space slash bin slash bash. And that will change it back to the bash shell. Of course, log out, log back in again, and then you'll be back to bash. Um, so I, you know, it's just kind of fun stuff. And like I said, there's lots of other shells. A lot of people like the corn shell, uh, KSH, uh, you know, and that seems to be pretty popular. As I mentioned, uh, TSCH shell. Um, I don't, I can't remember what that one stands for. And the, and the C shell, those are other shells that are used by FreeBSD and OpenBSD. And so there's a lot of different ones. And it's funny because when I've browsed around in forums, especially in some of the BSD forums, you know, it can be kind of a friendly heated debate. It's almost like a VI versus Emacs type of debate. You know, what shell do you use? And bash is clearly the most popular, even among the BSDs, which don't come with bash by default, uh, in FreeBSD, you know, you have to install bash from the ports. So, you know, so it's like a third party package. It's not part of the base system at all. And in fact, in those operating systems, they recommend you don't want to change the shell of the root user. Uh, because, um, at least in the BSDs, you know, when you do a system upgrade, um, 
that will not get upgraded. Or if it, if it breaks for some reason in the port system, you wouldn't be able to log in as root or you wouldn't be able to SU to root and do and fix things. So you want to kind of leave the root shell alone. You don't want to mess with that. But for your user, you can certainly play around with different shells and try different things and, and uh, check out this chart that I'll link to, because like I said, there's a lot of really good information on some of the differences with the shells. Um, so that was one thing I wanted to mention was the, you know, different kinds of shells, interactive shells, login shells, and uh, scripting shells. Uh, the other thing or another topic I want to mention briefly, and this is one that's probably a candidate for a separate episode uh, is Mutt. And I've talked about Mutt before. Mutt is a command line email client. It's a mail user agent in MUA and uh, it's text-based console-based. And it's, you know, at first it seems very simple and uh, very plain looking and, uh, you know, just not very fun, um, and it seems kind of hard to configure. Uh, but I do want to talk about MUT for just for a few minutes, just to encourage people to try it out because I think MUT is really cool. Um, MUT by default, like most um, uh, command line email clients, are really were originally intended to read email from your system. You know, in slash var slash mail or slash var slash log slash mail or wherever that wherever your system mail arrives you know you got to think about again back to the unix kind of days you know people were on uh network systems at school or in the university or something in in the work and um mail would be delivered sort of you know within the enterprise or within the, the the local area network and would you know you'd have almost like you know just a local mail server and you'd have a local mail sending it, you know, MTA, uh, mail transport agent, like SendMail or PostFix to do your sending. It, we didn't have this idea of, you know, of um, offline internet type email, either IMAP or POP or whatever. And I'm sure those protocols existed. But the point being is that, you know, these kinds of text-based uh, email clients were really intended for the sort of the system mail. Uh, so by default, you know, Mutt doesn't you know, configure, it doesn't, you know, go to IMAP folders on, offline or pop or anything like that. It's easy to configure. Basically what you would do is you create a .mut RC file in your home directory. And there's lots of different options you can put in this file, including, you know, you can tell it to look in your mail dir directory. You can uh, set the IMAP, um, you know, your IMAP server offline somewhere. If you know, if you've got an IMAP account or a pop account and it will, you know, pull down the email, no problem. And it will put it into your mail dir directory actually. But um, if it's an IMAP, uh, then of course you're just really kind of reading, you know, the, the mail remotely anyway. Um, but the neat thing about MUT is just how configurable it is. In fact, it's almost, I mean, it's very, it can be very complicated, but, and I don't really, I feel like I only know 5% of what MUT can do, but I've got it running really well. And I like using MUT quite a bit and, uh, it pulls down IMAP email. And, and the other thing about MUT is when you, when you compose a mail, it uses your editor. So, uh, you know, one of the environmental variables is, which is, that's something I haven't really talked about is, is what are environmental variables, but one of the environmental variables that you can change is your default editor. In most cases in most distributions, it's Vim or VI, uh, in some distributions, like I noticed in Ubuntu, it's, it's nano, uh, but you can change that, but whatever your default text editor is in MUT, when you go to compose a mail, it actually pulls up your editor. And that's the powerful thing about it. That's what I like because I really like using Vim and I like composing my email in Vim. I'm just very used to Vim and it's, it, it's become quite comfortable for me. Um, and so it's nice to be able to edit email in Vim and then you save it in Vim and it takes you back to MUT where you can then send it. 
Uh, of course, MUT, you can have it set to configure to use GPG, which I have got mine configured that way. Um, and it can, you know, if you have an IMAP uh, uh, email folder, you know, offline, you can browse to different folders. You know, in IMAP, you can have different folders and uh, you can, you know, you can change to a different folder. You don't see the folders. It's not like a, you know, a modern day email client where you often have three panes, you know, like on the left, you have maybe your list of folders. Maybe on the top right, you have your, you know, message tree or whatever, list of messages. And the bottom, you might have the, the reading pane or, or what have you. Mutt's not like that at all. It's just a single square open box. Um, and when you, you see the tree of, of messages, and when you click on a message, usually it will, it will open up in the bottom so you can read it. But you don't have a, a folder tree on the left. Uh, there is a patch out there. It's called the sidebar patch for Mutt. Uh, that you can use, and you can patch MUT and recompile it. And some distributions come with binaries precompiled for uh, the for MUT with the sidebar patch enabled already. But most of the time, it's just traditional MUT. But then anyway, if you if you use that patch, then you do have the little folder list on the left, kind of like a you know Thunderbird or something. Uh, so it looks very much like that. Uh, but the neat thing also with MUT is you can, you know, customize the colors and, and you can really get into tweaking MUT uh, and your email. And that's, other, that's the other thing people, I think, why they like it is you can use something that are, that's called hooks. And it's a very complicated subject, but essentially it, you can set it so depending on where the mail is going to or coming from or the subject, you know, you can almost set – it's almost like filters, but, but you, can, you can change – you can change sort of the underlying things. Like, for example, you can say, all right, if I'm going to be sending an email from my email account A, then I want to use this one SMTP server. But if I'm going to be using email from B, then I want to use this other email server. And it's not – I know other clients can do that, but it can do much more than that. You can have different signatures. You can have different the different ways you know you treat replies. Uh, it's just, and it, it's not like you set up different accounts. You have what are called different hooks based on different, uh, different conditions in the email message, uh, either that you're reading or that you're sending. So anyway, I'll, you know, I won't get into it. That I'll kind of stop there, but you know, I do, you know, I do think it'd be, it's fun for, you know, if folks uh, check out Mutt and play around with it, you know, the nice thing about text-based or console-based applications like Mutt, um, is that you can SSH in from home and you can have, you know, your email client up and running and you can check it, you know, if you have it running in a screen session, that's what I do. Uh, I can log in from anywhere and check my email, you, you know, remotely that way without having to configure anything or, you know, and I can still use, um, and, you know, without using a web-based type email, which I've decided I really prefer sort of traditional email accounts. I'm, I'm just, you know, Gmail is great, but I, I don't know why I just, it's not my favorite thing. Um, so, Anyway, but that's Mutt, and there's lots of other console-based um, email clients. Oh, one last thing about Mutt. Uh, it doesn't have the innate capability to send, and that may seem strange, but again, if you think about it, you know, in sort of the traditional Unix type of environment, you had separate things, separate applications for separate jobs, and you have your mail user agent, your MUA, like Mutt, and all it does is read mail and help you, and you can compose mail. That's it, it you know. Oftentimes it didn't fetch. You know, you would use something like fetch mail or something to actually get your mail, and it doesn't send. You use something like send mail or postfix to actually send. So in MUT, you have to configure it to hand off the messages to a to to an MTA, a mail transport agent, like send mail or postfix. Now, 
it's kind of complicated to set up send mail or postfix just on your local machine. In fact, it's probably overkill. I'm sure there's people that do it. But the cool thing is there's lots of little simple mail transport agents out there. And all that they really do is let you put in your settings for your SMTP server offline. And it sort of pretends to be send mail, but it doesn't really do. It just passes a message along to your SMTP server. And, you know, you usually have a text file where you put in your credentials, of course, and the, the server name, your username, password, and all that. Um, but it'll, it'll kind of take the place of send mail. There's one that's called, the one that I have been using lately is called M. SMTP. It's just a simple, small, little command line application that is a simple SMTP server. And it's not even a server. It really just, again, takes your message and hands it off to your real SMTP server, like Gmail or whatever. Um, there's uh, ESMTP. That's another one I've used. And there's also SSMTP. There's several others. But I really like MSMTP. It's very easy to configure. And it really is, I mean, it's simple. I mean, it's a simple configuration where you just have blocks of, and you can have more than one SMTP server in there. And you can set your default and everything. And you just tell in MUT, there's a line where you can configure what your what your MTA is. And you would just tell it to pass off to this uh, MSMTP, for example, if that's the one you use. So, so that's MUT. And then the last thing I mentioned that's, you know, fun console stuff, and I've kind of talked about this before as well, is text-based IRC. And I'll put in another plug for the Linux Reality IRC channel. It's on Freenode. Um, that's uh, hash Linux Reality on irc.freenode.net. And we've got a small group of people. I've been hanging out in there quite a bit lately. And uh, one thing I need to do is is talk to Freenode about um, – uh, actually, one of the listeners uh, had set that up very kindly, very graciously earlier in the year. And uh, I'm not sure if he's still around or what, so I need to try to figure out how to – you know be assigned that channel so I can change the topic and stuff like that. But anyway, um, you know, text-based IRC clients, uh, there's several of them. Of course, there's lots of GUI ones. But the one I've been using and the one I've been using for years is IRSSI. And again, it's a command line, it's a command line um, IRC uh, client. And again, the nice thing about that with a command line client is that I can have a screen session running and you can have multiple windows in a screen session. And I usually have four or five windows in a screen session, one for MUT, one for IRSSI and one for or two or three for different terminals um, that I can do stuff and I can switch back and forth. Um, but so IRSSI, it's, it's also pretty easy to configure. It's, you know, again, a configuration file. You usually have a .irssi folder in your home folder. And in there is a file called config. And that's your IRSSI configuration file. And the IRSSI website has some very good documentation on how to get it up and running and how to use it. And it's really not that complicated. Um, the fun thing or the neat thing about you know, about IRSSI, and, and this really works for any IRC client, is you can also use another command line tool that I use called BIP. And I've talked about that as well before. And that's an IRC proxy. It's a local proxy. And what that means is that it will um, – it will – BIP will – establish the connections to whatever IRC servers and channels you want. You know, again, you set it up in a text file and your BIP um, server will maintain that connection. And, you know, you give yourself a username and, and login password to log in to your local BIP IRC proxy server. And then, so the cool thing is you can then use any IRC client uh, to access your your proxy server and you'll pick right back up where you were before. Um, and whether it's IRSSI or even a GUI, you know, a GUI IRC uh, client. 
And if you wanted to, although I don't think I would recommend this, you could open the, the open that up to the outside and connect in from the outside. Again, I don't I don't recommend that. I just run it locally and I SSH into my machine and then attach to my screen session where I have IRSSI running. Um, and you could say, well, why don't you just you could just have IRSSI running without the proxy server and you can reconnect because you're using SSH and that's true. But the nice thing is sometimes I need to quit my SSH session or something or I need to whatever. But as long as I still have my, my proxy server running, I can reconnect. Uh, so, you know, it's, if you use BIP with IRSSI, it's a really cool combination, especially over SSH and screen. To me, that's just a killer combo. It's fun stuff. I mean, it's just, and again, this is, you know, getting back to the, you know, Will Backman's episode on, on loving the command line. To me, this is what's so great about it is the fact that, you know, you have all these different tools and there's all kinds of fancy GUI tools, which I love. I mean, I, you know, use a, a, a graphical environment. I don't, you know, r- I don't run just on the command line all the time. Uh, but it's fun to have these in addition to the nice uh, GUI tools. It just gives you more options. So it's, it's you know, it's a lot of fun. And that's my little um, rambling discussion of command line fun things that I've been playing with and I wanted to share. Uh, so now we've got a listener tip, and then we're going to wrap it up. As I said, we'll do the listener uh, feedback in another episode separately. But let's check out this listener tip next. Hi, Chess, and hello to all my fellow Linux dabblers. My name is John. I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. Been a Linux dabbler for six or seven years now. Love the show. First, thank you, Chess, and thank you, contributors, for all that you do to further the acceptance of Linux worldwide. You've certainly sold me on the idea that Linux is a reasonable alternative to other more needlessly padded OSs. I wouldn't have said this a year ago or even a few months ago. And because of you, I'm doing my part to encourage others to try Linux. Just try it. On to my tip. I've chosen to try and combine two tips into one because I discovered them at the same time. Logical, right? The first tip came about when I was trying to put a link on my Ubuntu Dapper desktop to a database file I created to manage all my website passwords, something I open almost every time I log on. And I either couldn't get it to open the application at all, or it would open the app and not the file. I wanted both in one shot. Here's how you do it. First, go to the application and open the Office menu. Right-click on the app you want to open the file with. In my case, it was OpenOffice.org database. A menu pops up. Select Add this launcher to desktop. Now, right-click on the new icon on your desktop and select Properties. Now, select the Launcher tab and copy the string in the command window. Got all that? Okay. The next phase of this process. Now, right-click on the desktop area and select Create Launcher. A new Properties window pops up. Paste the command string into the command window. Almost there. Now, at the end of that string, add a space, the path to your file, and the file name with the extension. Okay. Done. Well, not yet. Fill in the name window, and before you hit OK, do you see the No Icon button? Good. That leads me to my second tip. Creating a custom icon for your desktop links. On a second desktop workspace, open either GIMP or Inkspace and create a picture. Nothing fancy, just original. I've gone to the internet and downloaded free things and and edited them for my own use, but you can create whatever you like. I have a green tux with my name on his ball cap. 
Okay, you've got the basic drawing. Now you need to save the drawing as a bitmap, a .png file, in 48 by 48 pixel format. Either program will let you do this. If you want a slightly bigger icon, 600 by 400 res in ink space only doubled the size of the icon, which turned out to be perfect for my desktop. Now you have to move that bitmap to the slash user slash share slash pixmaps folder so your launcher properties can find it. I had to use sudo authority from the command line to move mine. Alright, everything where you need it? Now, go back to the launcher properties window and click the no icon button and hunt for your picture. Little side note, once you hit OK, I haven't been able to figure out how to change the icon, but if you plan ahead and get it right, that won't be a problem. Simple and custom. Enjoy. Hope I kept the time down. All right. Thanks for that great listener tip. I really appreciate it. And uh, I think with that, time to wrap it up for this week. Okay, everybody. Well, hope you enjoyed uh, uh, my little discussion of command line fun. Uh, the command line really is not so scary, uh, and I know you know a lot of people listening know that. But there's you know there's there's folks out there who you know haven't really played around with it too much, and you know, I can certainly understand that. And uh, you know, there's so many great graphical tools in Linux and graphical applications in Linux that. Uh, you know, it, it is getting to the point where you can really use Linux all the time without ever having to drop into the shell. Uh, but, you know, for those who, who don't really venture there, I do, I do encourage you to check it out from time to time. Uh, I do think that the shell and the command line can be extremely powerful, and there's great applications that can be used in the command line as well. So uh, it's a lot, of, a lot of fun stuff, and it really just shows the power of, of Linux. Uh, so let's see, how to get a hold of me? Well, you can send me an email to linuxreality at gmail.com. You can also attach a listener tip or a, you know audio comment if you'd like. Uh, just send it as an MP3 or an AUG or a wave if you want, although those are usually pretty big files. Uh, but you can just attach it to the email and send it to me. That's one way uh, to send an audio comment if you like. Or you can also send uh, um, uh, just a regular text email. You can also call any of the hotline numbers. Go to linuxreality.com slash contact. Haven't had any uh, voicemail lately, so you know, definitely uh, encourage you to call me and leave a message if you like. That would be very cool, and I will certainly play it on the show. And I also wanted to mention again the forums and the IRC channel. We've had really great stuff going on in the forums as always. It's been a lot of fun, and it's it's such a nice forum. I mean, it's just nice people, and we just it's just great. It really is great. I'm so so happy that people are able to come there and hang out and have a good time. And do drop in the IRC channel. And, you know, if there's nothing going on, just hang out. You know, especially, hey, you know, if you got IRSSI running, just keep that console window open and just let it run. And, uh, you know, people will be dropping in and out and having some conversations in there. So that's good stuff. So I think with that, I'm going to wrap it up. And I will uh, catch you all next time. This has been Episode 85 of Linux Reality. See you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>